Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. I want to welcome all of those of you who are listening here in Colorado and in, in southern Wyoming on Grace FM. We also want to say hi to everyone who is listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. And we also want to give a big hello to all of those of you who tune in and listen online and on the app, wherever you might be in the world. Welcome to the program. We're glad you tuned in today. This, of course, is the show where you can call in uh, with questions about the Bible or anything that's going on in your life. If you have a prayer request or something like that, you can something to share, something to celebrate. You can call us or text us. The number to call is 303 690 That's 303 690 Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Here at the beginning of the show is always a good time to call if you want to get on the air because we wait for those lines to fill up. So again, my name is Nick Cady. I am the host every Monday here on Calvary Live. And just a little bit about myself, I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is in Longmont, Colorado. And Whitefields meets at 700 Longs Peak Avenue in downtown Longmont. So for those of you who are familiar with the city, it's right on the corner of Longs Peak and Kaufman, right in downtown Longmont. We're just on the southeast corner of Roosevelt Park, which is the city park here in town. And... Um, we would love for you to come and check us out if you are in the area or if you're in the surrounding area. We know there's a lot of people who are kind of communities right outside of Longmont where people come into town all the time. So whether you're in Frederick, Firestone, Decono, that area, or down in Erie, Lafayette, or, or even into Boulder, North Boulder, and um, Lyons, Gun Barrel, uh, Berthoud, we'd love for you to come and check us out sometime at Whitefields Church in Longmont. Our website, for those of you who want to check us out online, is whitefieldschurch.com. So we just want to personally invite you to come and check us out if you're in the area. Whitefieldschurch.com. And um, 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings is when we meet at the St. Vrain Memorial Building in downtown Longmont. You can also hear me every weekday here on Grace FM at uh, 2.30 p.m. We have a show called Life in the Fields. That's 2.30 Mountain Time here on Grace FM every weekday. And you can also hear me on Sunday mornings on Grace FM at 10 a.m. This past Sunday at Whitefields, we were studying we were studying the book of Hebrews. We were in Hebrews chapter 6 and chapter 7, actually chapter 7 this week. And we were looking at Melchizedek, this interesting character from the Bible who's just a amazing foreshadowing of Jesus as a person who was both a priest and and a king, which is something, by the way, that in the Jewish system, nobody could be both a priest and a king. But there was this mysterious figure named Melchizedek who preceded that uh, Jewish 
the, the law and the Levitical priesthood, and he was both a priest and a king, and in that way he prefigured Jesus. In fact, it would seem from what the scriptures are telling us that he was actually an appearance of Jesus before Christmas. And so as we're in this Advent season right now, that was the approach that we took to the text was, let's talk about Jesus before Christmas, Christ before Christmas. And it's just a wonderful study of talking about how Jesus as God has existed from eternity past. And there were times in the Old Testament where we saw glimpses of him showing up and doing things. And um, we had a great time looking at Melchizedek and about that system and about how Jesus is the answer to all the riddles, not only of the Old Testament, but also of our lives personally. And this coming Sunday, I was just preparing for the message before I got on the air with you today. We are going to be looking at Luke chapter 1 where we see Mary, we call it the Annunciation. This is when it was announced to Mary that she was going to have a child, even though she was a virgin. And we see in this text just this amazing thing that Mary does, where she listens, she contemplates, she considers, and then she wrestles with some doubts. How can this be? How is this possible? Why would God do this? And then she she goes and she seeks community with another believer, which is just such an important thing for us to do when we're struggling with doubts. She goes to her cousin Elizabeth, and uh, and she talks to her, and Elizabeth just confirms that this is from the Lord and really strengthens Mary's faith. And then the next thing we see Mary do is completely surrender to the Lord, and then finally she sings, and she sings this wonderful song where she praises the attributes of God. She says that God is her Savior, that he is holy, that he is mighty, and he is merciful. And then she talks about God's purposes through history, and then she talks about God's all-sufficiency to save those who, who humble themselves before him. So I'm really looking forward to that. And if you are in the area, we'd love to have you come and check us out. That's whitefieldschurch.com, Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Let's go ahead and go to our calls. We've got some calls coming in already. We've got Suleika from Philadelphia. Hi, Suleika. Welcome to Hi. the program. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. How are you? Um, Nick, so here's my question. I want to know, um, how do you present the gospel to an unbelieving world and make them believe that the Bible is still relevant in today's time? I read a quote some time ago by Charles Spurgeon, which actually said that you don't defend the gospel, you just present it to people and it'll do its job. But how do you explain the Bible to a world that doesn't even know God? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um... I'll start with a few things. That quote you mentioned from Spurgeon, what he says is that you don't have to defend the Bible. It's like, how do you defend a lion? You don't defend yeah. a lion. You just let it loose. And so that was his idea. Was just, you, know, you just let the gospel loose and it'll do its job. Now, I think that's partly true. But I think there is something to be said for giving an answer to everyone who asks us uh, about the hope that we have. Right? That's what we're instructed to do in the Bible. And so... Um, here are some ways that I, I do this. I think there are many ways that you can do it, but um, let's, I'll just give you a few. So number okay. one, we could talk about what's called natural revelation. Okay, so natural revelation. Now, natural revelation, of course, has its limits, right? Because our human reasoning has been darkened, so to say, because of our, our fallen nature as human beings. But the point is that God gave us reason to use as a tool to, to not only know things in this world, but even to, to recognize and to know him. So everybody has this. So whether they're, um, you know, we were created in the image of God. This is part of the image of God that he gave us. And even though we're fallen, we still contain the, the image of God. So we still got this reason. So like, for example, in Romans chapter 1, 
Paul the Apostle is writing about this very thing. I'm going to turn there right now. And here's what he says. He's talking about the gospel and he's saying, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the message of salvation for everyone who believes. But then he says this in verse 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's an interesting thing there because it's not just that they don't know. It's more of a matter of the will than it is a matter of the intellect because it means that they, they do know they're suppressing it. And he actually goes on. He says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And so the point here is this, is that there are certain things that we can know about God um, and that everybody can know about God that are completely observable uh, in nature and, and about ourselves. And I think the other thing to remember is that when you look at the biblical narrative, like if you look at Genesis, right? So a yeah. lot of times what you hear is this kind of narrative in, in our society, kind of, I guess you call it a secular narrative, meaning it's like a um, evolutionary narrative. And what that evolutionary narrative says is this. I'm not actually talking about biological evolution. I'm really talking about what you call, um, oh, I'm forgetting the term right now. It's evolutionary sociology, basically. How did we become mm -hmm. the anthropology? I'm sorry, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, talking about human anthropology and the evolution of anthropology. So here's what here's what the kind of thing that you often hear is, is that, you know, we were cavemen and then we kind of like crawled out from the cave and people yeah. invented God somewhere along the way because it helped them out to believe in something yeah. and to have something to believe in. And over time, you know, we kind of honed that and narrowed it down and uh, and yeah. got to the point where we believe in certain things. Right. So it's kind of evolution of that idea, whereas the Bible actually gives us a very different narrative. What the Bible says is that when people were created, they knew God and they knew exactly who God was and they had a relationship with God. And then because they chose to sin and rebel against God, that was broken. And it was actually sinning and rebelling against God, which caused them to then go and invent other gods who were more. Uh, fashionable to them, you could say, or more pleasing to their sensibilities. And so okay. I guess what I'm trying to say with all that is that if you read Romans 1 here and you think about this idea of, you know, just what can be known about God is already known. And the issue isn't usually that people don't know it. It's that they choose not to believe it. So I would say that just the knowledge of God is somehow innately built into us. And so how do you do that? So I would say start with this. You start with this this natural uh, reason where you say, hey, there are certain things which you can know about God. Okay. Now, now some people obviously aren't going to, they're going to say, okay, well, that's what you believe about God. You know, why should I believe that? I think that you can also reason with them on the sense of like, look, if there is a God, he would want to communicate with us. If there is a God, he's clearly all powerful. If he can create the universe, then he can create his word and keep his word, um, you know, trustworthy over time. Okay. But here, here's another one that I would give you to talk to people about, um, you know, talk to an unbelieving world. Is that I believe that there are, because we were created in the image of God, but we're fallen, but yet we retain that image of God to a degree. I think there's a way in which all people have the same longings. I guess you, I call them longings, deep longings of mm -hmm. our hearts. I think this can be kind of... Uh, 
shown in the fact that all of our great stories that we tell, even beyond different cultures, you know, from culture to culture, all these stories contain a lot of the same elements, right? So they'll contain things like there's always good defeating evil or, you know, overcoming death and suffering or love that never ends. And yet we look around the world and we see that that's just actually not reality, right? Because love always ends because either you die or the other person dies or they break up with you or they forsake you and leave you. Um, Same with death, right? It's like, okay, yeah, it's nice to have a story that tells us we can overcome death. But the fact is that we're all going to die. And then the other hand, you know, good overcoming evil. Well, you look around in the world and you see that it seems that the people who are most corrupt are the people who succeed. And so you look around and you say, well, how is that right? Why, why do we continue to tell these stories? Why do we continue to hope in these things if that's not reality? And the reason is because those desires are built into us because we came from that and we long to get back home, so to say, to that place where we came from. And it's only through Jesus that we can do that. I think there are other things. For example, like every culture has a sense of uncleanness, right? So Every person in the world is dealing with this sense that we are defiled and we are unclean. Maybe we're defiled because of something that somebody else did to us. Maybe we're defiled because of things that we have done and said and looked at. Maybe it's just we've been in the world and the world can sometimes make us feel dirty. And uh, the question is, how do we get clean? You know, another one is, how do we become good? Because I think that all of us innately desire to be good people. We, you know, you even meet people who are in jail and criminals and they'll all tell you, you know, hey, deep down, I'm a good person. I just don't always act like it. Right. And the question and then, you know, the reality is, okay, well, if we really, you know, judge it based on like, okay, you've got different religions have different standards, but we've even got our own standards. Like I used this example in church yesterday. I got it from this author named Francis Schaeffer. What he says is. If everyone were to wear a device around their neck that records you all the time, but it only turns on and it only starts recording when you say the words ought to or should have. In other words, it only records what you say are standards for how other people should behave. And then when you stand before God on Judgment Day, God takes that recording device off and he says, I'm going to be super generous with you. I'm not going to judge you by... Uh, my standards or the Ten Commandments. I'm not even going to judge you by the standards of any religion. I'm only going to judge you by the standards of what you said is appropriate, proper behavior. Uh, None of us would pass that test because we don't even live up to our own standards. In other words, there's this sense in which, along with being clean, we also want to be good, but yet we're not, and we know that we're not. And we know that because of that, we experience alienation, not just from people, but ultimately from God. And so you've got all these deep innate longings that I think cross cultural boundaries, right? So like everybody in the world wants to become clean, but how do we become clean? And religions have things that say, okay, well, if you do this, then you can become clean. But it's never like a one-off thing. It always is like, okay, we have to do this and you have to do it every single day and you have to do it repeatedly and you have to keep going. And that's like the Jewish system where it was even like, okay, you can get clean, but it's only going to be temporary. Like you can become right with God, but it'll only be temporary. And okay. and in a way, every religion in the world is kind of like that, with the exception of Christianity. Christianity says there is a way to be clean, not just on the outside, but on the inside, and once and for all, in a way that doesn't change. And that's yeah. because of Jesus. And, th- and there's one last thing I would tell you. I, I always tell this to people who, who ask me about uniqueness of Christianity, and that's this, that every religion in the world 
has this in common. They all tell you how you can attain salvation and how you can reach this place of, of being in contact with God. But Christianity is unique and different in that it tells you that it's not what it's it doesn't give you a bunch of things that you need to do. It tells you what has been done for you at a time in history by a person. He did it for you and you are saved by trusting in that and receiving that. In other words, it's not what you do. It's not your works. It's his work. And that's a very okay. fundamental difference between and and even, you know, some people will say, well, hey, how do you know that like Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, you know, these we call them like pseudo Christian groups. They're kind of like, you know, they they use the Bible and they talk mm -hmm. about Jesus. But are they Christians? And the real test for whether or not somebody's a Christian is, well, how do you get saved? Is it by following a laundry list of things that you need to do or is it by Jesus Christ alone and what he did for you. So, anyway. I have another question, Nick. Um, yeah. Can you, I mean, this is easy to accept for people who actually believe in the Bible, right? But right. how do you explain it to people who don't believe in the Bible, who don't even think the Bible's real? Yeah, you know, I would go back and I would try to show them the veracity of the Bible. I think that would be one of the main things that I would go to. But I will say this, at the end of the day, there are, question, there are answers to every question that people might have about it. But at the end of the day, it is going to take a step of faith. It is going to take a step of belief. Now, if you want to say, okay, well, I would believe if I thought that the Bible was trustworthy. you know, Or how do I know that this message is even true or that somebody just made it up? So I would go back to them and I would show them some proofs for the veracity of the Bible. And um, I could just give you a couple if you'd like right now. I mean, first of all, there's the issue of the Bible itself. So the Bible is not one book. It's actually 66 books. It's written by uh, about 40 different authors over the course of around 1,600 years. And uh, they were written on three different continents and in at least three languages. And most of these writers never met each other. And yet there's this amazing continuity uh, amongst what they say. And another proof of the veracity of the Bible is the fact that uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, for example, were found not that long ago in the 20th century. And the Dead Sea Scrolls showed that the Bible had not been changed um, in 2,000 years. Now, that was the Old Testament scriptures. But then when you get to the New Testament scriptures, you know, they're also created in a time period which was much more modern. I mean, 2,000 years ago doesn't sound modern, but it's pretty <laughs> modern in the scope of history. And so we have we can trace back documents that show that the Bible is trustworthy, that it hasn't been changed and altered, and that the, this message has been carried on and kept um, true. Now, as for the Bible being true, I would just say there may be one or two more things beyond just its its cohesion and unity and that the fact of that that it actually tells a story, but it's as if you know forty different people over the course of sixteen hundred years all wrote a chapter in a story and yet it all fits together and creates a cohesive story. Um, but there's also the fact of prophecy. You know, you look at the Bible and you see all these prophecies that were fulfilled. I just taught a minor prophets class here at Whitefields. And um, that was one of the things we looked at that was so amazing, uh, especially like in Micah, Malachi and Zechariah, all these prophecies that were fulfilled. And then you see that there are some that haven't yet been fulfilled. And we look forward to those too. 
But there, there was a statistician, you know, who famously said that if you were to take all of just the prophecies about Jesus and say, okay, what is the likelihood of just one person fulfilling all of these prophecies? You know, it's a couple hundred different prophecies that speak about who Jesus would be that he fulfilled in his coming. And the guy said, well, it would be about the same statistical probability as if you were to cover the state of Texas in silver dollars and, you know, mark one with an X. You know, and, and not just cover it with silver dollars, but cover it, you know, a certain depth in silver dollars as well. And then you were to go in and just randomly pluck out one of those silver dollars, and it happened to just be that one that was that was marked with the X. And so it's an incredible um, case when you look at the, the prophetic uh, fulfillment that has already taken place in the Bible. I agree. Great. Oh, and now can I ask you a question? So I hear your accent. I see that you're calling from Philadelphia, but are you from Philadelphia? Yes. Uh, no, I'm not from Philadelphia. I'm holidaying in Philadelphia. I'm from India. Okay. So you're, and you're a Christian? Yes, I am. So that's, that's cool. I was wondering, could you maybe tell some of our listeners a little bit about maybe how you became a Christian or maybe, maybe more interestingly, just tell us about Christianity in India. Sure. Um, well, Christianity is not so popular in India in terms of we don't have a high percentage of people. Uh, I'm sure you guys know we are more than one and a half billion people, but there's barely about 2% or less of Christians. And the 2% or less of Christians includes Catholics, Protestants, everybody. They're not necessarily Bible-believing Christians. Um, but we do have Bible-believing Christians as well. I'm part of one of such churches. They are fewer in India, but they do exist. And um, like my church has a congregation of about 70, uh, which includes probably about 30 signed up, uh, sorry, about 50 signed up members. Um, we're a small church, but um, I'm about 31 now. I got saved when I was nine. Uh, my mom is saved. My brother is saved as well. So, yeah, we're, we're smaller in numbers in terms of people who are Bible-believing in India, but I think it's definitely something that is growing in India, because uh, in my church alone, I've seen six to seven young people go out and study theology and become pastors, and there's many people in India who have a passion for um, our people to get saved, so mm. uh, there's, there's a lot of work that's happening in India, and God is definitely working there. That's awesome, and do you see people coming to the Lord? Yes, I have seen many people come to the Lord. Um, I know a lot of, in fact, my sister-in-law, uh, the lady who married my cousin, she was a Hindu, uh, and in fact, my cousin's not saved, but she is saved. Wow, that's that's awesome. I'm so glad to hear that, and that's very encouraging. I'm sure it's encouraging to a lot of our listeners. So if you'd allow me, we'll just wrap it up now, but I'd like to pray for you and pray for your church and just pray for God's yeah. work in India. So sure. let's do that. Heavenly Father, we, as uh, along with all the listeners, Lord, we pray to you now, and we thank you for... Suleika, we thank you, Lord, for saving her and, and bringing her to a knowledge of you. And Lord, we pray for her church in India. Lord, we pray that they would be a bright light to the community there. We pray that you would use them mightily. We pray that you bring new people in their door every week from their community and that those people would hear the good news about Jesus, Lord, and that you would bring clarity, that you give also that congregation so much wisdom with how to speak about you uh, to people who have questions and to, to really, especially with the Hindu context, to Lord, to make 
you the show you as the one and only way to the Father, the one and only way to be saved. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless them, that you would anoint them, that you would cause their church to grow and that there would be new converts. And Lord, I pray for India and your work there. And I pray for maybe even some of, of our listeners now. Lord, you, you told us to pray to you and ask for you to send workers into your harvest field because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So Lord, we do that now. We ask that you would send workers into your harvest field in India because we do believe that there are many people there who are yours, who you would call to be saved. So, Lord, thank you for Suleika. Please bless her church and her country. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for thank calling you. in. God bless you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Right. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady on the air with you today from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We are here taking your calls and texts. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to line two where we've got Brett from New Jersey. Hi, Brett. Welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? Good. Thanks for holding. Uh, yeah, no problem. Um, I was just calling about... Um, a scripture and, and like where I'm at in my life in terms of uh, a Christian husband. I've, I've been married for about two years, mm-hmm. and um, you know my wife is also a Christian, and it's just been, you know, uh, I'm sure you know, like you know, we're naturally sinful people, and we come from two different backgrounds, and we. You know, whenever you have two different people who come from two different backgrounds, two different mindsets, two different ways of being raised, and then you know you you put them together, even if even though we're a Christian, you know there's going to be certain issues that will pop up. Um, and so we've been kind of having trouble in our like issues in marriage, and um, you know she's you know, talk to me about, you know, leaving and everything like that. And I'm just at a point where I want to be the husband, like in the out of scripture says, still be the husband that loves her as Christ loves the church. And, um, I don't, I don't really know how to handle like, you know, that type of weight and still, you know, kind of be okay, I guess. Um, You know, it's kind of tough, you know, kind of dealing with that and then still trying to be, like, patient and loving and, you know, enduring and, um, you know, I guess I'm just struggling in that area. I guess, you know, we're both struggling in that area due to certain things that I'm not doing, certain vice versa and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, here's here's what I'm going to tell you. I tell this to all my listeners who tell me that they're struggling because I definitely um, I know where where you're coming from. I'll tell you this just um, to begin with. I think the best thing you can do right now is to get your eyes off of yourself and your failings, you know, and your failing to do what needed to be done or what you haven't done, your shortcomings, and you know the failures you've had in your relationship and how you failed to be the husband that you should be. I want you to get your take your eyes off of that. And I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus. And I want you to see him in all the ways that he is the husband that you need to be. You know, he has been to you 
that good and true husband. You know, the Bible calls us his bride. It calls the people of God the wife of God. And so this is a picture, the Bible tells us, of, of our relationship with God and, and our relationship with Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you to, for a moment, take your eyes off of your own shortcomings and put your eyes on Jesus and see his fullness. Because it's when you do that, that's when you're going to be motivated. See, you can either be motivated by a sense of duty, and a sen- or, which I don't think duty is bad all, with, all the time. I'll say that. But, or you can also be you know, motivated by a sense of guilt or, or a sense of like, man, I need to do better and I need to try harder. Or there's another way that the Bible says that God motivates us, the primary way, by the way, that God motivates us. And that is by pointing us uh, to what, who he is and what he's done. And so I just want to walk you through some scriptures real quick. By the way, we're going to go to break in a minute. I just want to give you a heads up. If you're willing to stick with us, I'd love to continue with you after the break. Okay. Okay. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Calvary Live. We're going to go to our two-minute break right now. We'll be back on the other side. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon again. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, here with you today, taking your calls and texts live on the air. Um, We're going to continue a call that we had before the break, which was with Brett. Brett, are you with me? Uh, yes, I am. I'm still here. All right. Yeah, thanks for holding. I appreciate it. So, Brett, mm-hmm. uh, for, for anybody who just joined us, I just want to bring him up to speed. You were saying that you know, you're struggling with being the husband that you that you know you need to be and the, the husband that your wife desires you to be, and you guys are having um, some tough times right now. So I'm definitely going to pray for you. But before I do that, I just want to continue what I was, what I was telling you before, and that is uh, first I was telling you, that I really recommend starting with this, taking your eyes off of yourself and your failings and putting your eyes on Jesus and his fullness and his sufficiency, that he is uh, the husband that you need. He is, he has done those things. He has given his life. See, that's actually what, what the model is that Paul, the apostle follows in all of his letters in the new Testament. In the beginning of the letter, he'll always tell you who Jesus is and what God has done. And then the last part of the letter he will talk about, okay, so because those things are true, here's what that means in your life. And that's what he does here in Ephesians, which is, you know, some scriptures that you referenced yourself, you know, from Ephesians chapter 5 about husbands loving their wives. You know, here, here's just what it says. I'll read you the whole section. Starting in verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, the body, and he is its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to, in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ did the church. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. 
So all that to say this. You are on the right track, man, about loving your wife as Christ loved the church. And, you know, here's a few things that come out in this text. One is that this love he describes, it's a sacrificial love. So it's a love that acts. It isn't just a love that is sentimental or says, hey, I love you. Um, but it's a love that acts. It's a love that gives, gave his life. And, um, and, but I would also say this. It's a, it's a love where he, it says, washes his, his wife with the water of the word to make her um, without spot, to present uh, her without spot or wrinkle or any blemish that she might be holy. And it says that that is how husbands should love their wives. And so I would just encourage you in a few things. So are you guys in a church together? Uh, yes, we are. Okay, good. And you guys, are you involved? Not really, no. <laughs> okay. Well, I would just give you that advice. I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to be harsh on you. I'm just trying to give you some advice, and that is that it's going to be really good for you guys to be serving the Lord together. I think there's nothing that could draw you together more than serving the Lord together. And uh, I was talking to a couple in my church here in Longmont, and they were telling me that um, they do children's ministry at our church, and they're really busy. You know, these guys, they work a lot, and uh, and they they volunteer a lot in a lot of different areas and then they come to church and they serve in our children's ministry once a month and they were telling me that that is one of their favorite times of their entire uh life right now is that on saturday mornings you know they they get the emails on friday about you know what the lesson is for sunday and then on saturday morning they lay in bed together before they get out of bed and they open up the bible and they prepare their children's ministry class together by looking at the scriptures and what are they going to talk about with the kids and you know what are they going to do to illustrate it to the kids and they said it is just the biggest blessing in their lives and you know that's really the truth about when it comes to serving the lord especially when you do it together you know you do it uh, to bless others but a lot of times you're the one who gets the greatest blessing out of it so I would encourage you to do that. And now let me ask you another question. Do you guys have a relationship with your pastor or one of the pastors at your church? Um, we do. Um, we have a relationship with them, yeah. Cool. And you know what? Here's, here's all I would tell you is that I would encourage you to bring this topic. You know, make sure that he knows about this. Make sure that he can be praying for you and be checking in with you and asking how things are going. Uh, you know, it's one of these things where... You know, kind of like mold, right? Mold grows in the darkness, and sin and, and rottenness can kind of be the same way. So I just want to encourage you to bring that stuff to light. You don't have to bring it to light with everybody, but bring it to light with the people who you know are going to encourage you and help you. And then I got one last question. Do you guys, have you guys been reading the Bible and praying together? We don't, we don't really do that together, no. We kind of just do our, do our own stuff. I found, you know, I've been married for... Let's see, it's going to be going to be thirteen. It's thirteen years right now that I've been married, and um, I found that's that's been very difficult because I have no problem, you know, studying the Bible, reading, praying by myself. But it's always been a challenge for us to do that as a couple because my wife and I, you know, we met. We were both missionaries when we met, and we were so used to doing like kind of a devotional time on our own. Coming together has always been hard, but we do it, and and we never regret it. And so. As, as you know, awkward and contrived as it might feel at the beginning, I just want to encourage you to do it, you know. I tell you what, your wife will love and appreciate you for making the effort 
she might give you some pushback at first, you know, saying like, oh, you know, oh, now you're going to try doing this or whatever. Who knows what she might say? But I just encourage you to do it. You know, that's the thing about a covenant relationship is like if we're going to picture God in the way that he loves us, the way that he does that is that he loves us even if we are stubborn or insubordinate or, or we're just, uh, you know, difficult, stiff-necked people. He, he loves us the same. He reaches out to us. And so I would just encourage you to do that with your wife. Okay. But please let me pray for you, and then I'll let you go. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we pray for Brett. Uh, just everyone listening right now in agreement, Lord, just understanding that he's in this place of wanting to be the husband that you've called him to be and his wife desiring that. Lord, I pray that you would, you would strengthen him and give him the ability to do that. I pray that you would bless him as a husband. I pray that you would strengthen him, that he would grow in his relationship with his wife. And Lord, I pray that their relationship in their church, Lord, would you give them an outlet to be able to serve you together and through that draw them near to each other. So Lord, I pray that you would uh, bind their hearts to each other and that as they seek you together, Lord, that you would build up this relationship and make it healthy and good. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Yeah, thanks so much for calling in. God bless you. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady with you today, taking your calls and texts on the air. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. I want to just take the opportunity right now to invite you to uh, Whitefields Community Church in Longmont for those of you who are listening and you live in that area. We meet at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings in the St. Vrain Memorial Building, which is right in downtown Longmont at 700 Longs Peak Avenue, right on the corner of Longs Peak and Kaufman on the southeast corner of Roosevelt Park. You can check us out online at whitefieldschurch.com, and you can hear our radio show on Grace FM every weekday at 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time and on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. I also want to tell you about our Christmas Eve services. We're going to be having uh, Christmas Eve this year. Uh, we were Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday this year. We usually do an evening service, or we actually do uh, multiple evening services on Christmas Eve every year. But this year with Christmas Eve falling on a Sunday, we're just going to be doing services in the morning, but we're going to be doing two of them. There'll be special family services. We have a special choir that's going to be singing, and we'll be doing Christmas songs and a, and a great message, um, you know, presenting Jesus as, a, as our Savior and as the Savior of the world. So that'll be on Christmas Eve. Those services are at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. at uh, Whitefields Community Church. That's um, 700 Longs Peak Avenue in Longmont and on the 24th of December. And I read this statistic. I don't, I don't know, you know, if it's true, but even if it's close to true, I think it's it's really encouraging, and that's what this is. It says that 70 to 80% of people who've been asked in polls, 70 to 80% of people said that they would be willing to attend church on Christmas Eve if someone personally invited them. This is actually like the biggest uh, opportunity of the year. This is more than any other day, more than Easter, more than anything. Christmas Eve, 70 to 80% of people said that they would be willing to attend church on Christmas Eve if someone personally invited them to join them. So I just want to challenge you who are listening to say this. Who is the person who you 
are going to invite to come to this special service. These, these kind of events and services are a great time for you to, to reach out to people who, who don't usually go to church, people in your community. You know, you might feel awkward about asking them to come to church with you in general, but on Christmas Eve, I just want you to know, they're waiting for you to invite them. So I encourage you to do that. And those of you who are in Longmont and the surrounding area, come out and join us at Whitefields Community Church. Um, we're going to be have, having services again on Sunday morning on Christmas Eve, the 24th. Let's go to Eduardo in Greeley, Colorado on line one. Hi, Eduardo. Welcome to the program. Hi, how you doing? Doing well. Yeah, I was just calling because I had a question. Uh, my question is, is it is that Bible prophecy on what Donald Trump did on Wednesday uh, declaring uh, Jerusalem the capital of Israel? Uh, yeah. Just the fact, uh, the only reason I'm, I'm asking that is just the fact that in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, uh, is that the promised land that was promised to the Israelis and where King David, Solomon, and others lived, where they established the city of Jerusalem? Yeah, okay, so a couple questions there. Let me answer the, the second one first, which is, you know, is Jerusalem still the, and Israel, the land of Israel, the nation of Israel today, is that the one that's talked about in the Bible? And the answer to that is yes, that's the same one. And um, the second question was, is there any kind of prophetic significance to what Donald Trump did last week by declaring uh, Jerusalem the capital of Israel? So I tell you that I've thought about this a lot this past week, and I've talked about it with a lot of pastor friends of mine and kind of debated it. And, and you know, some people, on the one hand, were really excited when this happened. They said, oh, you know, this is setting the stage for um, the future, for a lot of prophecies to be fulfilled. Here's what the prophecies say. Prophecies say that when the Messiah returns, that he will return to Jerusalem. And, um, and then in the kingdom, which the Messiah will rule over, Jesus will rule over, uh, after his return, the kingdom there, the capital will be Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem is going to be the capital of the world, you could say, right? Of this new kingdom. He will reign from Jerusalem. Uh -huh. Now, now, the United States recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, does that have any prophetic significance? Well, in a way, you could say that, uh, I, I would say, first of all, I don't think that that itself has prophetic significance. But there are some things which might happen as a result of this, which you could say might actually uh, have prophetic significance. So, so first of all, uh, you know, us recognizing that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel uh, as the United States, I think is, is kind of like, you know, from a prophetic standpoint, I think it's a bit inconsequential. And I'll tell you why. Because Israel has considered Jerusalem to be their capital for a really long time. No one else has recognized it, um, but they have recognized it. And I think that really it doesn't, you know, if we don't recognize it as the United States, that's kind of inconsequential in the big picture of things. God doesn't need us to recognize Israel as the capital of Jerusalem in order for him to fulfill all of his promises and do his thing. Now, here's what I will say on that thing is that this could lead to things which do have prophetic significance. So, for example, um, you know, it seems to be that there is going to be a temple in Jerusalem, which there has not been since 70 AD when the Roman troops under Titus went into Jerusalem and they tore down the temple. They stole all the gold and they scraped the city. You know, they, they destroyed it. Uh -huh. And that was 70 AD, right? So that's been almost... I mean, we're coming up on 2,000 years that there has not been a temple in Jerusalem. And, um, and yet, 
it seems to be that there the prophetic picture would look like this. There's going to be a temple in Jerusalem. There's going to be a figure who brings peace and he's going to be welcomed in and people are going to love him. And then he's going to go into the temple and demand to be worshipped as God. And that's going to create a crisis, right? Okay, so so here's the thing. Um, Jerusalem right now is a divided city. Part mm-hmm. of it is under the administration of the uh, Israeli authorities, part of it is under the administration of the Palestinian authorities, the Muslim authorities. Okay, and so in order, and, and that includes, by the way, the Temple Mount, where the temple used to be. The problem is that on that Temple Mount, there sits a giant mosque called the Dome of the Rock. It's considered one of the most holiest sites in all of, all of Islam. Okay, so that creates a lot of problems, right? So if the Jewish people wanted to build a temple again, they don't even really have administration over that. But here's what Donald Trump said, is that he recognizes a united Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And that's very significant, because what that means is that he's saying that the, that the nation of Israel has sovereignty over all of the city of Israel, including the Temple Mount. And so here's what could happen. And I don't know if it will or not. Um, But what could happen is that the nation of Israel could feel emboldened by having the United States' support and backing. And they could, you know, basically assert their sovereignty over the Temple Mount area. And they could go there and they could, I, I really doubt that they would tear down the Dome of the Rock, but there's a second site where there's a, Oh, another holy site, which uh, even a lot of Christian and Jewish scholars agree might be the actual site of the first temple. Because the temple, like in the time of Jesus, was is what was called the second temple. It was built after the return of the Jews from Babylon, where they were in exile. And so they're saying that there's a possibility that the first temple was actually built not where the Dome of the Rock is, but a little bit further away. On the same hill, um, but a little bit further away where there might actually be an opportunity to rebuild that. And there is a temple society in Jerusalem. It's called the Temple Institute. And they have already created all of the elements for the temple so that when the time comes to erect the structure, they've got everything else in place. So okay. I, I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but that's that's really what the significance of this is. Okay, yeah, I, I understand. Is that just, uh, is that why, like, why is so much countries against it? Isn't that with uh, just another, doesn't it in Ezekiel, doesn't it refer to that, that uh, in the end time, um, that, not in the end time, that, that Jerusalem would be uh, uh, barren to all other nations and countries? It seems like everybody was just against the whole thing of him uh, saying just that. Like, I understand uh, where, uh, what you just said, and uh, I mean, it seems like it's, it was a big uh, a big thing for the whole world uh, declaring that. Yeah, I mean, for, for most people, the reason they were uh, upset about it was because they feel that it will upset the peace process, you know, because this was one of the stipulations that the Palestinians had always said was that uh, they didn't want anyone to recognize Jerusalem as the Israeli capital. And another reason is because they want it to be the capital of a Palestinian state. And so Donald Trump did something uh, pretty, I mean, as far as politics go and world politics and relations, I mean, that was a pretty big deal what he did. Um, But as to your other question, yeah, I mean, Jerusalem's talked about in the Bible a lot as just being this kind of epicenter for for trouble. Yeah, yeah, it it just seems like, uh, I mean, after the comment Trump said, like, two days later, you've seen, uh, 
the Turkish uh, president with the comments they said about Israel. I mean, I'm pretty. Uh, I think I'm uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Bible says, "He who curses the Israel, will God will curse, and he who blesses Israel, God will bless." This is part of the Abrahamic promise that God made to Abraham. He said, you know, I will make you a great nation and bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. So, yeah, I mean, uh, that's why a lot of people really care about this nation of Israel. It's clearly at the center of God's, uh, you know, the future fulfillment of many things. As I said, the, it says that the Messiah will return and reign from Jerusalem. And, uh, and so, yeah. Okay. Hey, thank you, you for calling yeah. in. Thank you so much for answering my question, and uh, yeah, my... God bless you, and you have a great rest of your night. You too. God bless you. All right. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. You're taking your calls and texts on the air today. We've got 10 minutes left in the show. Let's go to line three, where we've got Jay from Denver, Colorado. Hi, Jay. Welcome to the program. How's it going, man? Going well. <clears throat> What's up? Um, so I had a prayer request, and also kind of a advice type of a thing. Um, so I've been having some problems in my marriage. Um, I mean, everything for the most part goes really well. Um, but there's this one thing that we keep having problems with, and it's drinking. <clears throat> and uh, I mean, right now I'm not, I'm not allowed to drink because I'm on probation and stuff. And so I really haven't been drinking. And even when I do, I I really don't like to drink much at all. Um, but my wife, <clears throat> she really likes to drink, and like a lot, and like every day. And I've been trying to talk to her about it, and I've been, you know, I've tried like the gentle approach for a really long time. And then lately I've been like being more bold about it because it seems like nothing I say is making any difference. And, like, I read the Bible to her, and I tell her, you know, and she, she knows what it says. She knows that she's not supposed to and stuff. But, uh, like, it just seems like she'll say, like, oh, I'm going to do better. I'm going to cut back. And she has a little bit, but, like, she still gets, like, way too, drinks way too much. And I've been trying, and I've been praying, and it seems like she's just been acting like I'm being... Uh, ridiculous with telling her, like, hey, like, really bothers me when you drink that much. And she seems to think that, like, I'm the one with the problem and that she really doesn't drink that much, whatever. But I just don't know what to do because she doesn't seem to listen to me and just figured having the whole state pray would be a good thing. All right. Yeah, no, I'd be happy to pray for you. That sounds like a difficult situation. You know, here's what the Bible says. It just says that all, all things are free to me, but not all things are helpful. Not all things are profitable. And I'd say it really sounds like in your case, you know, alcohol is not helping you guys. It's not helping you in your life. And certainly sounds like it would even be getting in the way of your relationship with God and you guys being Christians. So I just want to encourage you. Uh, I would encourage your wife that, hey, you know, this is at this point, this is not helpful it's not helpful to you or your husband and uh it's it's only causing destruction in your life and if it's not helpful you really need to let it go and if you can't let it go that shows that you're in bondage to it and you really need to be set free and the good news is that jesus does set us free not only does he forgive us of our sins but he actually gives us the strength and power to overcome 
uh, temptation. And that's what the Bible tells us. It tells us that no temptation has come upon you except that which is common to people, meaning that that you or me, you know, whatever temptation you're facing, it's not, uh, it's not a temptation that hasn't been faced by someone in the past. And here's the, the greater news, but that he gives you the strength to stand up underneath it. So whatever that temptation is that you're facing, he will give you the strength to say no to it. And so I just want to encourage you to um, stand on that promise and take hold of that promise and, tr- and ask him to truly do that, to supernaturally give you the strength to fight temptation. And I would, pr- I would do the same thing for your wife. And, and there's the other thing I wanted to tell you is that there's some really great recovery programs, and I would encourage you guys to get involved in one. You know, you don't have to wait until, you know, you're full-blown alcoholic and the, there's like your life is, is really, really messed up before you get involved in something like this. I think that getting involved with a group of people who are all trying to be sober and follow the Lord Jesus is a really, really good thing. And, um, you know, there are programs, I don't know exactly, you say you live in Denver. I know that there is this, this is a program called Celebrate Recovery, which is kind of, um, it's done at many different churches throughout the state. I know there are a couple here in Longmont, and I'm sure there are a lot in Denver. But I also know that Calvary Aurora has their own program that they do. It's a kind of a recovery group, and I believe it's called Most Excellent Way. I'm not sure exactly on the name. The producer's going to tell me right now. Um yeah, so I believe it's called The Most Excellent Way. Anyway, if you contact Calvary Aurora, they're going to be able to tell you what that is. And if you're in Denver, hopefully Aurora isn't too far from you. You can get down there. I just encourage you, get in a group that's encouraging you to pursue Jesus and to uh, and to be sober-minded and to lay aside anything. Like Hebrews says, let us lay aside everything which is a burden which keeps us from running this race. And it sounds like that's a burden in your life. So let me pray for you and um, do that. So... Heavenly Father, we pray for Jay. We thank you for him calling in and for this desire in his heart to not have alcohol be a dominating force in his life anymore. So, Lord, I pray for him that you would uh, work in his life and his wife's life, Lord, that you would give them the power to stand up under temptation and to be free from anything, free from substances, free from anything that might keep them in bondage. And, Lord, I just pray that you would really strengthen him and and do that. I also pray, Lord, you draw him near to yourself and that he would see you as just the most desirable thing in his life right now, both for uh, him and his wife. And I pray, Lord, that they would be able to get involved in some kind of recovery group and in a community of people who are pursuing you and not anything else. And so I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for calling in. God bless you. God bless, man. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. I think we got time for one last call. We've got Laverne in Fort Collins, Colorado. Hi, Laverne. Welcome to the program. Hi. I just got a request for my neighbor. She's a young lady, and she's 27, and she's got Crohn's disease, and she just had a really bad, severe attack of it last night and ended up in the emergency room. And if you lift her up in prayer, she's getting really overwhelmed with uh, with this illness and everything else that's been going on in her life. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Let's pray for her. Heavenly Father, we pray for Laverne, and we pray for her neighbor, Lord uh, 
I know there are a lot of people who suffer with similar diseases, Lord, and similar um, problems. Lord, we just pray for you to grant relief, specifically to Laverne's neighbor. Lord, we pray for relief from the pain. We also pray for relief from the uh, onset of this uh, illness. And so, Lord, we ask for you to bring healing in her life. And that as she's in the hospital, Lord, that you would be with her right now, that she would sense your presence in the room with her, and that that would be a sense, a source of comfort and joy to her. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Laverne, for calling in. God bless you. Thank you, too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. We've got time for maybe one or two quick uh, questions. Let's see here. We've got one from a man named Jay who says, I've been doing a study through Second Peter last week. Um, Second Peter 2, verses 20 and 21, and the teacher was talking about how we have to remain in faith and righteousness in order to inherit salvation. I was wondering concerning his position because I've believed that if you are saved, you would endure to the end because God is able to keep us. And I'm not sure now after his teaching. Well, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you that it's both, but it does matter the order. And so it is this, that if God has saved you, it is his work. It is something that he has done at a time and point in history. And so we trust in what he has done, not in our holding on to him. In other words, you don't trust in your strength of clinging to him. You trust in his strength that he is clinging to you. And that's the good news, that even when you falter in clinging to him, he is still clinging to you. But the other part is this, that we do need to continue in the faith. Now, again, it is his strength by which we do this. It's his work from beginning to end. But uh, that would be the way I'd put it. So, yes, I agree with you that it is his work in our lives, but I do agree with him that we must remain in faith and righteousness. However, it is God's work in us. So the greatest thing that can happen is for us to be changed and renewed on the inside. That's what we all need is that new heart. So may God grant that to those of us who are listening as we put our faith in him. You've been listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church. For those of you in the Longmont area, check us out, whitefieldschurch.com. The rest of you tune in to Calvary Live again every day at 4 p.m. Mountain Time, and I'll see you next Monday. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.